how much power someone has in your life will be a function of how triggered you get by them. That's why your neighbor could say something and you go, oh, who cares? But your spouse says it and you're angry. Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas and personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Welcome back, everyone, to the Mind Valley Podcast. Our guest today is Rhea Lala, and she's been a regular on Mind Valley. Rhea is by far one of the wisest people I've ever interviewed when it comes to relating between human beings, particularly understanding yourself and understanding your kids. I interviewed her around four years back for an early interview on uh, on Mind Valley. Back when we had a mentoring program. And the interview was on was really on parenting. And I can tell you that 45 minutes with Rhea changed aspects of how I parented my kids. Now, today's interview is broader than that. You don't have to be a parent to enjoy today's episode. But I want to stress how brilliant this lady's mind is. Today, we're going to be talking about how to diffuse triggers, traumas, and terror in yourself and in others. And what Rhea is going to share are 10 powerful practices. And so we're going to spend about five minutes per idea on how to diffuse the triggers and the trauma that actually you carry with you. So Rhea is a conscious parenting coach and a certified relationship coach for over 20 years. She works with adults and kids and has even created an emotional intelligence curriculum for parents and kids at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Schools. She has been with Mind Valley for many years, having uh, led our children's education program at Mind Valley University and spoken on stage at Mind Valley on multiple occasions. Her articles, her live events, her books have been featured on radio and on Today's Parent, to name a few. And for those of you who want to check out Rhea's work in a greater way, her website is this. Feel free to take it down and dive into it anytime you want. It's buildgreatminds.com. That's super easy to remember, buildgreatminds.com. And that really is a theme for today's conversation, whether you're building a great mind in your child or you're building a great mind in yourself. So welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Rhea, so good to see you again. Great to see you, Vishen. It's been a while. So uh, yeah, today we are talking about trauma, triggers, and terrors. So I'm gonna I'm going to jump right into what trauma is. And trauma is the Greek word for wound. So when we were children, we had intense feelings and we never had the emotional resources to be able to handle what we experienced. So essentially we disassociated. So just to give you an example, imagine a child that's, uh, when you were a child, you're on a skateboard, maybe you're four and you fall and you cut your knee. And then all of a sudden your mom reacts and she goes, oh, look at all that blood. And she starts freaking out. And in that moment, you don't know what to do with all this energy and emotion and fear that's been cultivated. So you sort of disassociate from that moment. So as a result, when you grow up, you could have a fear of blood. You could have a fear of like moving things like bikes or skateboards. That's one way trauma can show up. But uh, trauma is also anytime there was a fear or a hurt or a threat that occurred on a consistent basis when you were a child. And it fundamentally changes your brain architecture or your neural network. So for example, if when we were children, if we had controlling parents, 
if we didn't feel like perceived we had enough power, if we were yelled at, put down, if my if your parents showed favoritism for one child or the other, they judge you, they criticize you, they ignored you, they abused you. Those are all things that will fundamentally change your neural network in your mind. So that essentially is what trauma is. Now, trauma is also, people like to often think trauma might be, you know, a parent beat you and locked you in a closet, right? That That's trauma. But if we ch- think of it as a wound, trauma is also what didn't happen to you. So let's suppose you were a child and you're thinking, I really want mom and dad to touch me, or I really want them to spend time connecting to me or knowing me. So any lack of attunement a parent had with a child, uh, or if your parents didn't create a safe container for you to process your feeling, you can grow up and feel traumatized. And bearing in mind, when you're going through trauma, here's why your brain is changing. Because cortisol, which is the stress hormone, is being released. And that stress actually changes not just your neural networks, but it changes your higher executive functioning brain, which is your cortex. Yeah. So this can affect your learning and your memory. And one other thing that I think is really key to understand with trauma is it's not the event. People think that trauma has to do with the event. No, it's something happened. And our autonomic nervous system started to release all these chemicals inside of us. And those chemicals created um, basically a disassociation. So we went into a shutdown. This is why two people can experience a traumatic event, but one person codes it as uh, something very different than the other, right? By the way, that is a really, really powerful idea that you just said. Trauma is also what didn't happen to you. Yes. That was a mind flip. Thank you for saying that. Please go on. Now, it's really important to remember, though, that a child coming into the world, all of us, when we came to the world, we never knew how to regulate our nervous system. No child does. That is learned always in the context of a parent. So a parent learns how to calm their own nervous system down and then helps the child understand the situation. So now you have all of us as children. We don't know how to regulate our own nervous system if our parents aren't helping us. We can't physically remove ourselves from the situation because we're in the house and we're kids and we can't go live somewhere else on our own. And we can't reduce the threat, especially if the threat is mom and dad who aren't necessarily abusing us. They could just be ignoring us or criticizing us or comparing us to our sibling. So what happens is now as children, we, this is the interesting thing. We don't outgrow um, this experience of trauma or wounding. So it actually gets coded like a a developer creating code. It actually gets coded in our body. So, you know, if if you have a child and they go and they touch a hot stove, they know, oh, that's dangerous. I'm not going to touch that hot stove again. This is not something that lessens with age or experience. This is trauma. The only way to be able to work through trauma is to actually, you know, do a deep dive. So I'm just going to give you an example. I have a client who has a a husband who is very argumentative and tends to be very disempowering. And she tends to get very numb and start to shut down. And so she says to me, why is it that I can't articulate anything in that moment, even though I know what he's saying is incorrect and I'm feeling abused by his words in this moment, but I literally go blank. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's happening is this you know, through our coaching, we were able to see that this is something that happened in the context of her, her her family and her caregivers. So as a result, she didn't feel that she had a voice. She didn't feel that she could express herself. And what happens is, is that she now separates and she can't remember because those cortisol has like blocked her memory. So what 
really needs to happen in that moment is she needs somebody to help her complete the loop. All these chemicals went through and she disassociated from her feelings. She needs to go back and reintegrate that so that she can feel the feeling through the completion. And remember those feelings, they don't occur in your mind. You can't go for coffee with your friend and just try and talk, like think this out. It's something that happens somatically. Okay. So the the leading experts in the world that talk about this, like Dr. Peter Levine or Dr. Gabor Mate share that it's, it's a somatic experience trauma. It happens in your body. And so, you know, how's trauma showing up? So for all of you guys listening right now, trauma might be showing up in your life as an adult, where you feel like you need to fix people. You feel like you need to people, please. You find yourself in codependent relationships. You're looking for external validation all the time. Maybe you put up with abusive behaviors. You don't prioritize your needs. You don't have good boundaries. I mean, it's like the full gamut of things that you go, oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this thing? Why do I keep hitting my head against the wall? The lack of confidence. These are all things that if you look back, you can find rooted in your childhood. But it was a survival mechanism in childhood that became a maladaptive behavior as an adult in trying to oh, navigate. A survival mechanism in childhood that becomes a maladaptive behavior. By the way, Rhea, the live audience is really loving you. Stephanie just wrote, brilliant. Anna wrote, woohoo, you can't think through your trauma. And Megan said, Rhea is literally blowing my mind right now. It all makes so much sense. Yeah. So, uh, and what I mean by what was a survival mechanism in childhood, you know, I like to use the example of moths to the light. Have I ever shared that with you, Vision? Moths to the light? Okay. So when you think about why do moths or any insect for that matter, fly towards the light? The reason for that is long ago when there were no house lights or street lights, insects needed to survive. But the only source of light at nighttime was the moon. And the insect needed to preserve its life. So it didn't want to crash into a wall or crash into the ground. So the insect realized in its instinct, if I fly towards the light, I can fly up. But then there's a point where the air pressure changes and I know not to go any further. That keeps me from dying. That's genius. The problem is, is that all of a sudden we become an industrialized world and then we have street lights and house lights and all sorts of lights. And the moth, which w- what was a very uh, clever survival mechanism, a very adaptive uh, behavior has become maladaptive because now they're flying towards the house lights and the street lights and burning to a crisp. It's the same thing with us as adults. When we were children, maybe um, our parents were scolding us and um, and then we shut down because we felt that, uh, you know, as they scold us, we don't have a voice. We can't express ourselves. But now it's not working for us as we grow up, because now with my wife, I'm not able to talk about things. Right. Do you see that? Mm-hmm. So if, right. if your parents were scolding you as they write, you realize, OK, I have no voice. I have no say. And I'm just going to shut down. That doesn't work well. That's not adaptive. It's maladaptive now to shut down when you're trying to have a conversation with your wife. Maybe when you were young, it was adaptive to please other people because I know if I please other people, mom's going to like me. Mom's going to think I'm a great person. However, and I'm going to get mom's love. However, it's not very good as an adult. It becomes maladaptive because I can't set and maintain healthy boundaries. So what worked well as a child, adaptive, people-pleasing, is not working for me as an adult. And I feel unhappy with my life, right? So our relational somatic in your body trauma essentially is a lens that clouds the way you see the world. So unless you're willing to go back and revisit the trauma, then it's going to still be playing uh, playing havoc in your life. Is there a way 
and, and I know you have, you have 10 steps you're about to unveil to us, but questions that come to mind is how do we identify the trauma we might be carrying and maybe not conscious of, and how do we fix it? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, there's a variety of different things that you can do for trauma specifically, and one of them is what uh, Peter Levine calls somatic experiencing. So this is less of a cognitive experience. This is where you go into your body. And it helps if you have some sort of coach or therapist to help guide you through this. Uh, So there's different things you can do for trauma. So somatic experiencing is where instead of being in your head and talking and thinking about the problem, you start becoming viscerally aware of some of your tells. So for example, maybe with with your spouse or your significant other or your children, you notice when something happens, I notice my throat gets tight. I notice there's pressure in my chest. I notice my hands get sweaty. There's a physiological signs that we can clue into. The other, so that's just the beginning. If we start looking at those type of things, that can give us an insight that there's something else there. Um, I'm going to get to triggers in a moment and how we work through triggers because it sort of ties into things we can do with trauma as well. But the other pieces is that Now that we have the obvious signs, what are some of the more subtle signs? You see, a lot of time when I'm coaching and I ask people, how are they feeling? Or where do you feel that in your body? It could hit them as kind of woo-woo, or it could hit them as, what do you mean my body? Like, uh, they just want to stay up here in their mind. To go into their body can feel quite terrifying. Because when they were a child, when you were a child and mom didn't do something or dad didn't do something, basically the two people that are supposed to love you the most in the world, yeah, you recognize I have a need and I want you to do something for me and I don't know how to articulate. And then you realize, hey, the cavalry ain't coming. And for a child to sit with that, that nobody's coming and these are the two people and they didn't do it purposefully. They did based on their tools, but that didn't change the fact that we felt wounded at that and we created a worldview. Uh, I just want to mention a couple of things, like five things that help mitigate wounds and trauma. And that is something that we can look at now, whether or not we're doing this for ourselves now or for others, and also what happened when we were children. So really quickly, I call it the five A's. First A is attention. If you were a child and your parents didn't often, like more times than not, not always, pay mindful attention to you without judgment and attune to your feelings in a mirroring way and check in with you, if that was missing, there's a high likelihood that there's wounding that came from that, okay? So if you didn't get the attention you wanted. The acceptance, if you didn't feel accepted for your feelings, your interests, your lifestyle, your choices, if they felt like your parents wanted to change you, they didn't accept you for who you were, then that can create trauma. If your parents didn't appreciate you, uh, like if it was just your accomplishments or they maybe they played favorites or they didn't acknowledge your gifts and do what they could to boost them, lack of appreciation will create wounding. Affection, fourth A, if you didn't get kissed and hugged and loved and shown attention in physical ways and that attention wasn't welcomed by your parents and you may be had maybe you had some doubt about whether this this caring would actually come to an end that can create wounding and then the last a is allowing did your parents try to know you did they try and understand your deepest needs and values and wishes Did they say, no, 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 be like me unconsciously? Did they feel that you needed to caretake them and make sure they felt good? All of those things. Now, remember, no parent is going to score perfect marks on any of this. Okay, so this is not everybody's got trauma and everybody's going to have triggers, which is what I'm going to get into next. And our parents weren't perfect in any of these. But those are the areas to look at if you're a parent and also to just explore, did my parents give me these things? And if they didn't, then that's an opportunity to now start going into your body with usually the help of a coach 
and or a therapist and then be able to start feeling again. So you essentially here, this is what you're doing for trauma. Your body released all these chemicals and your, your, your limbic system, like your amygdala basically went into high alert. And it said, this feels too scary. I want to disassociate from this. When you go back and go into your body, what you're allowing yourself to do is complete that loop. So that's, that's what I'd recommend. And, and there's, there's a process that's involved. So I can talk more about that as we, if you want well, to. Let's, uh, let's just recap the five A's. Okay. So it's attention, acceptance, appreciation, affection, allowing. Correct. Yes. I've, um, when I think back in my life, I've learned a lot about trauma from you, as well as from Shelly Lefko, who has been a brilliant guest on this podcast many times. Have you ever met Shelly? I've never met her, but I followed her. Yeah. So she, she and her husband, her late husband, Morty, created the Lefko method. Um, and yes. they, are, they are dear friends. I remember a situation when I was maybe seven years old, and um, I was crying because of a scary situation. And an older person in my family yelled at me for crying and told me that I was behaving like a baby. And for years... For years, I saw crying as a weakness. And every time I cried, even if it, if it was something worth crying for, like the death of a loved one, yes. as an adult male, I felt that I was not being a man. And so I suppressed my emotions for the longest time until, until recently when I got rid of that. Um, so it's really fascinating how this works. And how did you view other people crying or other men crying? As a sign of weakness, literally. Yeah. And, and it's surprising. Like, like that is one thing that I think so many men get traumatized by because strong fathers tell a little boy, Hey, stop crying. Be a man. Yes. Recently, for example, um, I heard about the news of Bob Proctor's death. Bob Proctor was a dear mentor of mine. He was one of the first Mind Valley authors. I you saw know. Bob Proctor live when I was 12 years old. My parents sent me, we were two young kids, Annie and I in the front of that class. And I still love him to this day. So, so Bob, Bob Proctor gave me many of my, my first big breaks. And, and, and when he died, I, I, I cried and I got on a call with one of my ex-employees, Carl, who had worked with me on our projects with Bob. And both of us, grown adult men, cried with each other on the phone. It was actually a very beautiful bonding moment. Beautiful. And then I yes. shared I shared on Instagram, I cried today because my dear friend Bob Proctor passed away. And it was amazing the number of people who wrote to me and said, hey, Vision, don't cry about it. Don't cry about it. Like, and I, and, I, and, I, and I wanted to reply to all of them and say, guys, I, I'm completely comfortable crying and admitting that I'm crying. I'm crying because I'm, I'm to, he's a dear friend and it's perfectly okay. But, it's, it's, but it's, it's amazing. It took me a while to heal that. But I see that particular type of trauma with, with so many men, men of my age who are afraid to cry and so show their emotion. Well, how many other people that didn't bother to write in that actually were liberated seeing you, Vision, yeah. and they admire and look up to crying which liberated them to maybe explore their own their own stories as to why they're not crying so who knows what yeah. dominant effect that had and, right? and, and that's why releasing trauma and also making sure that we don't pass it to the next generation is so important i remember having a conversation with, with shelly lefko and uh, we were talking about parenting and i was interviewing and i asked her what is the most important thing for parents to do and her response was really interesting she said the most important job of a parent other than keeping your kids safe is to simply ensure that you're not messing up their belief system, that you're only putting in them healthy and correct beliefs. Every single thing you do is creating a belief and you've got to make sure that you're not creating false beliefs. And that has been probably like one of the best parenting advices I've got. And you said the same thing in an interview we did five years ago. Well, that story you shared about what, uh, you know, a particularly impactful situation about the crying and how that played out in your life and with, with other people and, and then having this, um, moment to 
reflect and, and be inspired by others and recognize what was happening and start being able to be in touch with your tears. That's like a perfect movement into a trigger because as you mentioned, well, when I asked the question, even when you saw other people crying, it triggered you, right? Yeah. Because you saw it as weakness. So what is a trigger now? A trigger is basically a throwback to an archaic trauma that feels like it's happening in the present. So anytime we withdraw, we feel hurt, we feel angry, we feel unsafe or insecure, it tells us that we have a wound that needs to be healed. Okay, so this is like a little tip to have in your pocket. If you're feeling withdrawn, hurt, angry, unsafe, insecure, that is your indicator that there's a wound that needs to be healed. So how do we begin to understand our triggers? Something to recognize about triggers is, again, triggers occur in their body. There are certain things that can exacerbate a trigger. For example, songs, movies, smells. I don't know if any of those things, uh, witnessing something, someone else, someone's behavior, their tone. Uh, If you're tired, a trigger can go up. But when you're triggered by something, this is the opportunity that you get to now begin to do a deep dive into where did this begin. So now I want to share with you some things to some specific tools that you can use to start understanding your triggers. Because remember, the trauma happened and now you grow up and you're trying to interact with your neighbor and your spouse and your children and you're getting triggered because you're feeling hurt all the time or you're feeling misunderstood all the time or you're feeling angry or you're feeling insecure. Okay, so the first step would be to do something very proactive. For everyone that's listening today, get out a pen, not now necessarily, but later you can make a note and write down what your top three emotional triggers are. What are the things that cause you to feel the most upset and the most thrown off balance? So for example, maybe someone's criticizing you. Maybe uh, there's a moment where you feel unlovable and you feel angry. You don't feel seen. I want you to start approaching those situations, whatever you wrote down with curiosity and try and start with the trigger that has the least emotional charge. So we don't want to avoid this. We want to just start noticing at what we've noticed as our top three. Is there any patterns? Am I getting a chance to go into my shadow or my unconscious? Do I do like this thing that's triggering me when this person does this, they come at me and they get their, have an angry face. Do I do the same thing that they're doing? See what generally happens is we get triggered by somebody or something and we go, I wouldn't do that. I don't like that. Why did they say and do that? I would never do that. That's the trigger. We have this as we're different and this other person is doing something to us. In this step, what we want to do is start to look at, am I in places that I have, uh, haven't tuned into doing the exact same thing? Is this maybe a mirror that's showing myself? Are they revealing something unacknowledged in myself? Okay, so this is your first step. Because then you can get a very good uh, insight into what are the things that piss you off and drive you crazy and use that as a springboard to try and understand yourself. Mm. Maybe it's part of your ego. Maybe they're not, you're thinking, this person doesn't see my brilliance or my greatness. They don't see that I'm entitled to some sort of special treatment. Maybe this person reminds me of an earlier life experience. Like when I see this, is this my mom or my dad that I'm seeing? Do I put their face on this bystander? Um, Am I back somehow in my childhood home? These are things that will give you an insight. Why do we want to do this? We want to do this because we don't want those adaptive behaviors from our childhood playing havoc in our current relationships and our feelings of calm and joy. So this is generally what's happening. And guess who's going to trigger you the most out of everybody? The people closest to you. It's not going to be 
you know, how much power someone has in your life will be a function of how triggered you get by them. That's why your neighbor could say something and you go, oh, who cares? But your spouse says it and you're angry. So how much power you give someone is going to affect that. Okay. So that's the first thing. The next thing you want to do, number two, is you want to notice any hyperarousal in your body. Remember I said that trauma and triggers, it's trauma stored in the body. You want to look for, you know, am I speaking really loudly? Am I sweaty? Is my body, do I feel tension in my chest, tightness in my throat? And the reason why you want to do that is because your body is going to give you an indicator that I'm feeling triggered right now. And you want to be able to catch it before you say a whole bunch of things that create a whole bunch of mess that you have to clean up. You're trying to create the least amount of disaster and mess, right? So you want to start noticing what's happening inside of your body. For me, I'm at a place in my life, not always, but more times than not, where I go, oh, wait a second. It feels like something's stepping on my chest. Something must be worrying me or something must be angering me. Okay. The next thing you want to do, number three, is name the trigger. So I might say something like as simple as I'm feeling really triggered right now, or I'm feeling really angry right now, or I'm feeling misunderstood right now. The mere fact of naming it takes you out of your amygdala hijack, reptile brain, and into the current here now. So you're literally going from your earliest brain to your higher thinking brain simply by naming it. So I've often held on to my husband's hand and not that often, but often enough where I'm upset about something. And as I'm squeezing his hand, I go, I'm really angry at you, but I'm not pulling the love away, but I'm still stating so that I can get out of that fight or flight. Number four is you want to own the feeling that you feel. Meaning if I'm feeling angry or I'm feeling jealous or I'm feeling insecure, any amount that you don't give it a dignity and an intelligence and you try and sweep it under the rug because you don't feel that lofty people have these types of feelings, then the feeling's going to stay. It literally just crosses its arms and says, I ain't going anywhere until you pay some attention to me. So you want to make sure that you're not doing any shame, blame, or make wrong for whatever feeling you're feeling. Also, you want to give yourself a little bit of space. There's something very beautiful about the idea of six seconds. So six seconds is the time it takes for an emotion. So basically emotion is where all these chemicals are being released in your body. So you have something that's coming at you that has a a charge or upsets you. And then all of a sudden, within six seconds, your hypothalamus releases chemicals, it gets broken down in your body, and then it gets and absorbed by your body. Six seconds. That means that anything past six seconds, you are choosing to refuel or generate the feeling again through your mind looping. Wow. Okay. So that, that's really interesting. Can you go deeper on that one? Six seconds? Mm-hmm. Okay. When your hypothalamus releases um, hormones, mm-hmm. it's broken down and absorbed in the body within six seconds. So if we feel something longer than six seconds, we are at some level choosing to recreate and refuel those feelings. Meaning what we're in is a cognitive loop. Why do they say that? I wouldn't say that. That's not very nice. That's actually making me feel defensive. They're being a mean person. That's a loop that we're doing. But the actual chemicals that created the emotion only last six seconds. So why is that empowering to me? It's empowering to me because I like having choice. I like feeling like I'm in control of my feelings and my feelings don't have me. So if I know, now that thought alone doesn't mean you're all of a sudden going to be six seconds and I'm done. It helps me recognize that six seconds, my whole body has been flooded by the big sine wave as I'm going up the emotion. And now I'm peaking at the top of the sine wave. And now at this point, I can do something that can get me out of this loop that I'm going to be in where I'm 
thinking about it. I'm obsessing about it. I'm still upset about it. That puts me back in the driver's seat. So I like feeling that I have the ability to do something. And that six seconds is the amount of time that scientists figured out. That's a really, really, really useful insight. So six seconds. Um, And bearing in mind, you know, when we get upset, we lose objectivity, right? Um, We become in fight or flight. So we want to go to number six, which is where we regulate our nervous system. Regulating your nervous system, as I mentioned, nobody is born knowing how to do this. This is done in the context of a parent or caregiver that taught us how to co that co-regulated with us, meaning they calmed their nervous system. They helped us make sense of this confusing, baffling experience. And then we came to now understand it and we learned how to calm down. So if we didn't have parents that were able to do that for us, we tend to maybe feel very anxious as we're as an adult. So what we want to do is we want to learn how to do this ourselves. So self-regulation is really about going back to the present moment. What's the opposite of trigger? It's the ability to witness, just witness like a cloud is floating by. You're witnessing that I'm having a feeling. So you want to start focusing on where in your body is the stress stored? Is it in my chest? Is it in my throat? Is it in my shoulders? And you want to stay with those sensations as long as possible until it begins to subside. Mm-hmm. Now, for some people out there that might be going, I when I think back to my past, I can't even remember it. And I can't really get into my body, usually because they become very disassociated from their body. So one of the things that I would do as a coach is just start remembering that you have a body. So just feel your fingertips, just feel your toes, feel the pang of hunger, feel what it feels like when you need to go to the washroom and pee. That just gets them re-embodied that I have a body. And then you can keep working down the path to start getting into some of the traumas and where that's stored. Um, Just quickly, because I know we want to get to some questions and stuff like that. But number seven is to make sure that you have a very supportive inner voice that advocates for us. So, you know, it can feel quite terrifying when we don't handle a situation well and we feel that we got upset and we said things. We want to be able to ensure that our voice is nourishing, nurturing to us in a way that maybe our parents didn't do, but we're going to do it right now for ourselves. We're going to advocate. You know what? It's okay that you said that. It's okay that you did that. You're still a lovable person. You want to maybe use reframing techniques like NLP, do affirmations, something that allows you to not feel that you suck. Okay. And that's really important. Um, Eight, perspective taking. This is huge. You know, sometimes when my husband trips me up and triggers me, I can think because I've, you know, he becomes my attachment figure. And I've now been all of a sudden pushed back to this moment in my own childhood because he does something. And I don't realize that I'm speaking from a childhood wound. And in that moment, I think, you know, you're, you're, you're complaining about something and I don't even understand why you're complaining and I'm feeling attacked. In that moment, perspective taking allows me to look and step outside myself, climb into his mind and go, is he trying to attack me and destroy me? And like the mother of his kids and the person that he loves, or is his intention something that I've misconstrued, right? So perspective taking can allow me to look at what this person's intentions are. And then now recognize, okay, I got triggered by what they said, but I'm bringing something to this story. I'm creating a story here. And so sometimes perspective taking can often help you see the wood from the trees. So that's eight. Nine would be to seek the source, like track the trigger's origin. You know, for me, the one, my advice to everybody, if I, Shirley Lefko gave you one, would be to know yourself. If a parent spends time trying to understand the whys, what they do and why they do it, 
then you get a chance to understand when my child does this, why is it when my child doesn't listen to me or doesn't wear the clothes that I bought for them or defies me in this moment? Why am I so triggered? So taking the time to understand why this trigger is there and seeking the source is very important. And lastly, when you have trauma that shows up in your triggers as you interact with the world, it's helpful to, to look and see if you can get some sort of coaching. Again, for trauma, it's very difficult to go out with your girlfriend and talk about the problem and get through your trauma. It's generally something that helps to be in a very safe container to have somebody support you, whoever that is. Thank you, Raya. Would you mind repeating those 10 steps again? And I know it was this was super fast, but if you could just re-articulate them. And if anyone is taking notes on Mind Valley Insights, uh, you will be able to see those notes under insights.mindvalley.com. It's an open uh, collaborative note-taking utility that Mind Valley runs. Uh, so type in Rhea, and you will likely find notes on this call. Rhea, please okay. go ahead. So the first one is I, I recommend for everybody to identify your top three emotional triggers, just so you can do a deep dive to begin to explore them. Okay. And look for patterns. Number two, you want to be able to notice any signs of hyperarousal in your body. So what are, you know, dizziness, sweaty palms, pain in your chest, just so you can notice what is the somatic tells of your, of your trauma or your triggers. Number three, you want to be able to name the trigger. It's like name it to tame it. So you can say, I'm feeling triggered right now, or I'm feeling angry right now, or I'm feeling sad right now. Number four, you want to own your feelings. Don't marginalize your feelings. So own your feelings without shame, blame, or make wrong, whatever feeling you happen to feel. Number five, you want to give yourself some space. We talked about the six seconds, but you know, sometimes you might want to take a little time out for yourself so that you can be able to regroup and, and go through the completion of that sine wave of the feeling. Number six, you want to be able to regulate your nervous system. So this is where you're using all the tools that you've amassed. And if you don't feel you have good tools, then now's the time to start building them on how do you calm your nervous system down? I recommend doing something that involves somatic exercises where you go into your body and you start feeling your feelings uh, and how they're morphing and changing within your body. So usually at the end of that, you can get to epiphanies. Number seven, make sure you have a very supportive inner voice where that is advocating for you, that is reminding you of your magnificence, that is reaffirming to you uh, using reframing techniques. Number eight, use perspective taking. Try and see the wood from the trees to see, is this person really trying to attack me or could I be bringing something to the conversation that doesn't need to be there? Number nine, you want to seek the source of the trigger. So this is where you're, again, doing the deep dive right now as you just experience this trigger for where did this come from? What story am I telling myself? What belief am I holding on to? And lastly, you know, if, if there's some particular trauma that you want to uh, work through, which to me is probably an incredible gift you give to your family, your loved one, your kids to seek some coaching with a therapist or a coach so that you can work through these feelings. So for all of you who are listening, if you want to get that list, go to insights.mindvalley.com and search for triggers, and you will find a note attached to this call. Insights is simply a collaborative note-taking tool that our members use to share notes and ideas with each other. And I'm just taking a quick look at the, the comments, and I see that some people have found tapping. CBT can be quite uh, in incredible. CBT for trauma, where you titrate how much exposure you have to something to help you through trauma. Again, there's EFT tapping. Yep. Great. Fantastic. So Rhea, let's get down to questions from the audience. There is a lot of people on this call, 300 people live with us right now. 
Our first question is in, and I'm bringing up Yasmin to ask. So, Yasmin, Hi. first, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Where are you tuning in? Hi, Yasmin. I am in Virginia, not too far from DC, actually. Fantastic. So, Yasmin, <laughs> do you want to go in and ask your question to Ria? Uh, yes. So, my first question was: um, I noticed. Well, I have um, gotten through the process of forgiveness and you know accepting what happened but I still seem to have um really bad nightmares and my parents actually tell me that oh you were screaming again in your sleep and um yeah I'm not quite sure how to go from there okay so just just curious did you get any for whatever happened did you get any sort of therapy or coaching during that time? Yes. I um, went to therapy and, you know. <laughs> okay. And uh, so did any of the therapy have you, what type of body work did they have you do? It doesn't matter what they had you do. Here's something that I'd like you to take on. Okay. Um, because one of the things that I find from, from being a coach, often when I'm dealing with my clients that have had very, very traumatic things happen to them is they're they've disassociated from a lot of the feelings that they had when whatever the trauma that was occurring took place. Yeah. And so in order to complete the loop, right, which remember all these, all these, um, all these feelings and ex- is stored inside of your body, you're not going to be able to access it just by talking. So people have mentioned various different ways that you can do this. I don't know what they've tried with you, but I'm just going to share one of my favorites. And that I want you to start, you know, later on, just lie down on your bed and first start very simply. First start with, uh, you know, just feeling into your fingers, feeling into your toes, almost like you're moving slowly down your body just to feel that you have knees. You don't have to touch your knees. You can just notice that they're there. The next piece that I want like you to do is when you notice, you said you woke, you wake up sometimes with like night terrors or bad dreams. So when you're, there's a moment when you wake up out of your sleep. And you've registered at least part of your unconscious that's becoming conscious that something happened and you, you are frightened. In that moment, try and see how much you can dip your toe into just noticing where you're feeling the feeling. Okay. You don't have to go back to any memory. Just, just see if you can notice. I feel like somebody's stepping on my chest. I'm feeling some pain on the backs of my shoulders. I'm noticing that my tummy feels kind of gurgly. Okay. And what I want you to do, Yasmin, is I want you to give it a number from one to 10. Okay. So I'm going to make this really easy for you. So we can, so give it a number from one to 10 and then notice that. So let's suppose you gave it a seven. Oh, that feels like a seven because not everything's going to feel like a 10. Once you have the seven, then I want you to do some regulation techniques. Okay. Self-regulation techniques. So this might involve seeing one of one of your caregivers or whoever's around you that can support you with this and breathe with you. But if you're by yourself, do some deep breathing exercises. So inhale from your nose for a count of three, exhale for a count of six, okay? Twice as long exhale. And stay with the feeling as if it's like a, it's if it's like a child that is there and you're in charge of looking after this beautiful little baby, okay? So you're just curious about this thing that exists inside of you. So you don't have to give it a, a face. You don't have to give it you're just going to explore it as if you're a detective. That's what I want you to do. 
So what essentially you're doing is you've given it a number. Now you're doing breathing exercises. So I'd say do at least five to 10 deep breath breaths, diaphragmic breaths, and then, then go back to what's the number. You might notice it's still at a seven. So stay with the feeling almost as if it's wanting to converse because you're very curious about this feeling. It's coming there as a gift from beyond with some intelligence. Your job is to get the download. So you get the download, not by going into your head, by just staying present with the feeling just for a moment, even if you can do it for a minute and then take some deep breaths and just notice, is the number going up? Is it staying the same or is it going down? And if you notice that the number starts to go down, like you were at a seven and you did these breaths and then you started to feel your, feel the feeling. If it went down from a seven to a five or seven to a four, now you're getting empirical data that this is working for you. Okay. This Mm -hmm. is essentially how we slowly begin to, it's like a titration process to begin to feel. So this way you can actually do something with your night terror. All right. You can start using it as a deep dive to feel again. That's what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Can you give that a go? Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Yasmin, for your question. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. Now, we'll bring up the next question, and this is from Kevin Moreau. Are the traumas that we experience as children greater than the traumas that we experience as adults? Are we actually taking on traumas as adults to a similar degree? Well, we are taking on trauma, but most of what the the trauma that we, I would say the thing that's most impactful in our life has happened within the first seven years of our life. The first seven years, it's almost think of it as that there are windows open in our minds. Because remember, we've learned a lot as we've grown and developed to learn about how to self-regulate through co-regulation. Maybe we never learned it from our parents, but we learned it from a course on Mindvalley or through a coach or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So now we have better tools. But as a young child with developing tools, a very tender nervous system, the impact of the trauma is like there's a window open your mind. Something came into the window and now the window's locked. It doesn't mean that you can never, you know, just as trauma changes the brain, healing also changes the brain. So it doesn't mean you can never go back and heal it, but it's much more work that you have to to unravel that. So yes, it's true that, um, so if you are, but we are picking up traumas. I mean, right now I could walk down the street and a car almost hits me or somebody were to say something or do something. And I feel traumatized. I think a lot of people through the pandemic have actually collectively as adults felt traumatized (laughs) for many different reasons. And that has had an impact in our physiology and our minds, but, uh, no, uh, but it is different. It is very different. It's much more impactful as a child. Thank you for answering that, Rhea. And uh, for everyone listening, if this episode touched you in any way, I want you to check out Rhea's work. Go to buildgreatminds.com. That is a website. And there's a ton that you learn about this amazing lady on her website. But Rhea also has a PDF that you can access. It's called 100 Questions to Build Your Relationship with Your Kids. And then there's a second PDF called the Tech Addiction Blueprint. So if you have children that are addicted to tech, and you want Rhea's advice on on solving this problem, go to buildgreatminds.com forward slash gift, sign up, and you can download these two beautiful PDF booklets from Rhea. Rhea, do you have any closing words that you'd like our community to know? There's just one thing that I find very interesting that I'd like to share, and that is that, you know, back in the 17th century, Rene Descartes had this line that everyone knows, and it's, I think, therefore I am. And at the same time, there was another very clever philosopher who said, by the name of Spinoza, who said, 
Um, I don't know if that's really true because I feel that there's something that's happening in the body and in the mind, right? So Spinoza essentially came out and said, in not so many words, I feel, therefore I am. And then now we look at modern day neurobiologists, neuroscientists like Damasio, who, uh, who, who, who recognize that Spinoza is the one who actually had it right. Mm -hmm. And what he says is that, you know, often we've elevated the mind on this pedestal as if it's like, and all the school systems have, have focused on the mind and never really focused on the body. And so what Damasio says is that the mind only exists for the body. The mind is only there to try and make sense of all this communication that the body is trying to reveal. So my closing remarks is that has been the most extraordinary for me personally, and certainly for the people I work with, the um, greatest epiphanies have come from recognizing where your mind is running loops and where we're missing the opportunity to go inside our body and get all that wisdom and intelligence and epiphany that's there. And you can only do that if you're willing to be brave and go on that journey. And it's an amazing journey to go on because then you get to know yourself. So thank you so much, Rhea. Thank you everyone for joining us. And if you enjoyed this episode and you want to dive deeper into this, you will find another beautiful episode with Rhea in Mind Valley. If you're a Mind Valley member, simply click on Programs Series Mind Valley Mentoring, and you'll find my previous interview with Rhea that completely blew my mind. So I'll see you on your Mind Valley membership, and I'll see you next week on our next episode of the Mind Valley Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank you all. Bye. Bye-bye. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.